are in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka. Come on, guys. Let me take over. And Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, welcome to Hawks Live. We're at the Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Paul Moyer, alongside me here, is going to offer us expert analysis of the game today. And today we have a... Um, or tonight, I should say, we have an in-person player interview. Bradley McDougald, he's coming up at eight yes! o'clock. About Danny O'Neill, we'll talk to him later. Sam Farmer, John Clayton, and uh, I want to thank our, our sponsors: Her- Heritage Distillings Batch Number Twelve Vodka and Legendary Donuts. All right, Paul, let's take a look back with the coach here, and it was not a pretty win. A little bit of an ugly win, but a win is a win, and it's amazing how in the NFL how a win just glosses over all of the problems. But it came at a cost with Earl Thomas going down with a broken leg and Will Disley, quite frankly, very important to this team. And uh, a rookie tight end who is playing really well, he goes out with a patellar tendon injury. So uh, that one came at a pretty high cost. Yeah, I think the Earl one, and we were just watching it earlier, you know, Dave, and it was such an odd injury uh, in that the way he hit the receiver from behind looked like he just hit his butt, you know, as he went right. down. And, it, and normally it takes over 200 pounds of force to break a tibia. Uh, that didn't look like 200 pounds of force. Did so you look that up? or I did. Yeah. I was. It's actually, I don't know, 212, whatever it is. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's the good thing about search engines now. But it was, an, it was an odd one. And then we watched it uh, from the end zone, uh, what we call the coach's film, that you don't see on TV. And he actually got up and walked uh, for a while. And, and got, it happened about three or four yards in the end zone, and he, he got back almost to the 10-yard line. And so it, it, it probably wasn't completely displaced like it was you know, a few years ago when he did it. So it was odd, and, and it hurts to lose him. The, the good news on that, not just because we got to find some good news, because yeah. he's such a great player. Is Tedrick Thompson's playing really well, yes. and and he's excited about this week. Um, he's more of a, a pure free safety. You know, he's a he's a big, you know, lanky, you know, he can tall guy, long long arms. Reads the quarterback really well. Good tackler. I, I don't know if we're going to do the same type of defenses that we were doing. We, we're going to have Bradley McDougall later. We can ask him. But they were doing a lot of drop-down safeties, and McDougal at times would go to the, to the middle, and, and Earl would drop down and blitz and, and pick up some uh, slots man-to-man or, or the crossing routes. So that's a bummer. You know, losing Earl, he's a fantastic player. He is a leader on the field for sure. Um, and, and I think Disley is, is a crusher. Uh, he was playing yeah. so well early in the year, but you go and watch his blocking. I mean, he can take a defensive end on almost by himself. One-on-one, yeah. And you, you watch the first few plays of that game against Arizona, and one of the reasons why. Mike Davis got 101 yards in this game, and that's the second week in a row that we've had a 100-yard rusher. Chris Carson was not available because he, he got hurt before the game. It looks like he's going to be healthy this week, but I think it would be cool, Paul, if uh, Rashad Penny got 100 yards this week. That works for so me. Every week you get a new 100-yard rusher, but getting that going. Over on the defensive side, and you mentioned Bradley McDougald. He, who, who's going to be our guest, of course, at 8 o'clock, 
I see him. He never does wrong. It's like he always is in the right spot. He makes lots of plays. And him and Tedrick Thompson have actually played together quite a bit. And one of the things we talked to Tedrick about was that, you know, Earl was talking to him when he was during his holdout and that uh, he and Bradley McDougald can kind of interchange. They have the kind Mm -hmm. of relationship where they can give each other a look and like, okay, you be the strong safety, I'll be the free safety on this one. So, you know, and those those two guys are going to be pretty important this week because you got a really high flying L.A. Rams offense coming in here. You know, Paul, I always think when you see an offense or a defense playing that well and it looks so easy for them, like it can't be that easy. This is the NFL, <laughs> and after a while, and we're at week five now. Defenses have a tendency to figure out what's going on, and I'm I'm actually excited to see. I know a lot of people are dreading that L.A. Rams offense that's coming in here because they're putting up like 450 yards or something. Um, I'm excited to see what Pete Carroll and his staff are going to do to try to slow this offense down. Well, it, it'll be a challenge. They're, they are a team that uh, they don't go on a lot of 10-play drives. I mean, they are one-and-a-half-minute, three-, four-play, 80-yard touchdowns. It happens very quick. And, and when you go and look at their – forget the running game right now, even though I think you've got to take the running game away first and force them to throw it. We, we can't let them be balanced in this. But you go and look in their receivers – you got Cooks, who they, they picked up from New England, 17.4 yards per catch. You've got Cup, who's from Eastern Washington, 14.5 yards per catch. You've got Woods, who's their possession receiver, 13.5 yards per catch. And then you've got Gurley. I, this is unheard of. He's a running back averaging 13 yards per catch. And that's screens and... They do do some nice isolation things, trying to get on linebackers, and that's going to be the challenge for the Seahawks' defense is not to get put in a position where it is a mismatch, um, you know, offense a player versus defense. Historically, we didn't care. We got KJ Wright. We've right. got Bobby Wagner. We don't. We'll put him on your your wide receiver. Yes. Um, this one, you know, this week we're we're going to have to be. They're going to have to do some checks and check out of some defenses, but I I do believe. The one thing that the Rams are not prepared for yet is they've had three home games in a row. They, they started the season at Oakland. That's not much of a, a home field advantage there. And they're coming into CenturyLink, the 12s. It's going to be tougher for them, but we're going to have to play a great game to win. Yeah, they've got Robert Woods, uh, Brandon Cooks. You know, I was looking at Brandon Cooks, 1,000 yards twice with the Saints. Uh, once with New England. He's already at 452 yards. It's just weird to me that people continually trade him away, you know. And so we talked to a guy down in L.A. today on the huddle and asked if any of these, you know, Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, you've got some personalities coming in there that are a little bit different. And he said Sean McVay is making it work. So um, on the offensive side, Russell Wilson, we talked a lot about him this week, and this is a, an offense that's kind of new, and it's new to Russell, and for the first time in his career, he's, he's got a new quarterback coach, new offensive coordinator, and I feel like Russell hasn't quite gotten to what he is best at, and that's throwing the ball deep and play-action pass. They've been really concentrating on the running game. Just really quick. What's your evaluation of, of Russell Wilson so far this year? Well, I think the last two weeks we've gotten back to what it was in 2012, 2013, and that is 
Keep him under 30 passes a game. That is effective. We know that. Yes. Don't turn the ball over. Be able to run it over 100 yards. That's the recipe for success. We've had it. I think we can do it against the Rams. And we'll talk more about it. They are not world beaters on defense. They're not great against the run. They're 24th average. Um, they're, they're, I think you can take some shots downfield on these guys. And, and we're going to have to, obviously. I'd like to do a nice 8, 9, 10 play drive if possible just to shorten the amount of possessions on both sides. But I think the offense can do some stuff against the Rams. Great minds think alike, Paul. I think the same thing. Downfield, there's some opportunities yep. for, uh, for this offense to take some shots. Well, coming up next, we'll get an opponent preview as we dive into Seahawks week. Opener here, number five, Sam Farmer from the L.A. Times. It'll be right here on Hawks Live. Oyster Bar, and now we get a chance to chat with one of my favorite guys in, in media, guy I've gotten to know over the last few years, an opponent preview from Sam Farmer of the L.A. Times. Sam, how you doing, buddy? How you doing, bud? I I'm I'm apologize for the ambient noise here. I'm in a restaurant in Hollywood. Uh, my daughter shanghaied me into going to a vegan place, so... <laughs> I'm at a restaurant. Well, I hope I hope you no. can hear me clearly. Oh, you sound good, out, Sam. Hey, out of the main, yeah. I, I want to ask you real quick, uh, and I asked somebody from from down there from the Orange County uh, Register. Yes, I, think it I grew was up the, in Orange County. Yes, yes. Paul, you're an Orange County guy, but you know you got Ndamukong Sue, uh, Marcus Peters, Akib Talib, and then Brandon Cooks, a guy who's been traded away. How, how's that working down there? Has there been any outbursts? Because you got a fair amount of problem children on that team. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like bringing in nitro and glycerin into the locker room. So <laughs> you're just hoping that those combustible players uh, don't blow up on you. And But, you know, as, as well as it's gone, they really haven't had a ton of adversity. The team hasn't. So everything's going great now. A lot of times when you get a, as you know, you get combustible players and things start going south, they go, to, they go south quicker. But... So far, it's been smooth sailing. Even with the injury to Chief Talib, uh, put him on IR. Even with uh, Marcus Peters uh, getting a badly sprained ankle, although he was able to play four, four days later, it's gone pretty well so far. But I think part of that is the unique combination of having a 32-year-old head coach and a 72-year-old defensive coordinator, Wade Phillips. Uh, they're, they can maybe kind of good cop, bad cop it a little bit, and, uh, and it seems to work for the Rams. Sam, I think, you know, as we look at this team, there's not much negative to say about them. I mean, offensively, they're, they're ridiculous right now. And, and, he, and defensively, coming into the season, you know, you thought they were going to be a top-five team. I, so I guess if there's one negative, it looks like they're struggling a little bit, particularly they're giving up some big plays. Um, but do you put the maybe some of the struggles on defense in that the offense just scores so quick <laughs> that they got to go right back out, or there's some deficiencies on defense right now? Yeah, you know it's funny. It's a little bit of the Chip Kelly thing where the, the guys defense doesn't get much of a time, much time to breathe. Um, I, I look at it, and I, you know, particularly in this last game, the injury to keep to lead, the fact that Peters came back, but he clearly wasn't 100. percent uh, so a lot falls on some more pedestrian corners, Sam Shields and Troy Hill, guys like that that are uh, 
you know, not as uh, not the playmakers that you're going to get in the keep the league Marcus Peters. So I think on the corners, they can be a little soft. Uh, I think they'll get better as Marcus Peters gets healthier. And, and they don't have much of an edge rush. They've got an interior pass rush. Great one with Aaron Donald and, and, and Dominican Sue. But on the edges, they aren't as effective. But, I mean, you can't have everything. Everything else seems to be, uh, even special teams, when they lost their kicker, they really didn't um, miss a trick. And so, uh, you know, there's going to be some areas that they, they aren't, Go firing on all cylinders, and I would say the, uh, the edge rushers and, and the corners right now. We're talking to Sam Farmer from the L.A. Times, a little opponent preview with the Los Angeles Rams. And, and Sam, Jared Goff, uh, maybe the biggest surprise, I think last year really we saw a lot of what McVay was able to do with him, but he just looks so much more like a professional. And, you know, is it is it that much about McVay, or do you think that Jared Goff is just kind of coming into his own? Well, he's, he's very even keel, and it's something people talked about at Cal, uh, how sort of unflappable this guy is. And I think one of the biggest things last year uh, that, that sort of went under the radar was getting Andrew Whitworth at left tackle and, and sort of shuffling that line, putting John Sullivan at center, and... Uh, you know, locking down the line, which got Gurley going. Once Gurley was going, it made life so much easier on Goff. And, but, I, but I think a lot of it is what McVeigh has been able to do. And Goff is very co- confident back there, doesn't get hit a lot. Uh, he's not a particularly fast guy, but he's really good in the pocket, good you know, feel for where guys are, and gets, gets rid of the ball quickly. And so... Um, he's just been very, very impressive, very accurate passer. And a surprisingly, he's like sneaky athletic because he doesn't look like a, you know, a specimen. But um, he just sits back there and slings it and, uh, and can really spin it too. So I think the, the, they work very effectively with those receivers. Brandon Cooks is a much better receiver than I thought he was, a much better I think he was with, with the Saints or the Patriots. Uh, he's got great hands and stretch the field. Usually you see those guys who are, are super fast, but they're not kind of like James Jett. They don't have great hands. They can get, get deep. This guy has great hands. I mean, it's like they're magnets. Um, so he's sort of the deep threat. Robert Woods, excellent receiver. And, and then the way they've used Cooper Cup, I think, has been very effective too. So they kind of have guys at all three levels who um, – helped off out quite a bit you don't often go into a season you know offensively or defensively and you draw up what you envision your offense to look like and each player's role it, it, it rarely works out exactly the way you want it looks like in this offense with Sean McVay it is I mean you've got Gurley catching balls out of the backfield averaging almost 13 yards a catch you've got um um Cooks, who's the speed guy, he's averaging almost 18. You know, each guy's role is playing out perfectly. So I always say there's not a lot of geniuses. Everybody thinks there's geniuses out there. there. There's not. There's only so much you can do offensively. We've all seen the formations. We've all seen the shifts. So what is it about Sean McVay at 32, 33 years old? You, you talk with him. What? I know he, he was critical of himself. Was there at work when everybody was off at 5 a.m. and 
And, you know what, Goff had a quarterback rating of 158, and he was critical of his play calling. But what is the thing about him that is so unique? Well, if, if we get away from the X's and O's a little bit, the thing that immediately strikes you about Sean McVay is he's incredibly charismatic when you talk to him. He's locked in on what you're saying, and you kind of feel like um, he just wants, you know, he, he's not telling himself. He's, like, very genuine. Uh, I know that doesn't really pertain to what he does on the field, but it's, uh, it's really unusual almost. And it, if you haven't gone and looked at YouTube of him in high school playing, he was a phenomenal player, phenomenal quarterback at Marist in Georgia, Marist High School. In fact, he was so good, he was Georgia State Player of the Year the same year as Calvin Johnson. So he was State Player of the Year over Calvin Johnson, which he kind of says is ridiculous. But uh, he, he does know football, and I think what he, what he draws up is very effective. And a lot of times you see guys like that where it takes a year and then everybody catches up to him. We just haven't seen that yet. And he puts Goss in position to succeed, gets guys uh, – the thing that really surprised me, I mean, I really noticed this in the Vikings game, receivers aren't just open, they're wide open. Like there's a, And I kind of look at Goff and I say, it's almost like he's got a press box view of the field. Now, granted, this, can all fall, this is a small sample size. All this could fall apart. But I, I'm just going on the first four games of this season, and it's like they didn't miss a hitch coming out of training camp, even though none of them played in training in training camp. Nobody played any exhibition games. Um, you know, they come out, they score 33, 34, 35, and 38 points in their games. And it just seems to flow uh, right from the start. Now, again, they're going to hit some adversity, and that, and we're going to find out a lot about them, I think, in the next month because everybody hits adversity. And they're going, to, they're going to have to be tested on the road, but this is a team that's Sean McVay is 9-1 and one on the road uh, with the only loss being at Minnesota. He came back and beat Minnesota last week. So, you know, what he's doing right now is working. Sam, we're going to let you get back to your vegan dinner with, yes. your, with your daughter. We really appreciate you spending the time and uh, look forward to seeing you up here this weekend. Thanks, Sam. Hey, appreciate it. Hey, you guys can keep me from my vegan dinner as long as you like. <laughs> Come up here and we'll eat some meat. All right, Sam. Take care. There goes Sam Farmer, L.A. Times. Coming up next on Hawks Live, Paul and I will go inside the film room. We'll take a look at... Three of the biggest plays from last week's game against Arizona. That's here next on Hawks Live. Welcome back to Hawks Live. I want to thank Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar for the delicious dinner we had before the show here. What you have? seared halibut. Oh, did you have that? I love halibut. Everything here is good. Short ribs is my favorite, but make sure you join us every Thursday so you can enjoy the good I'm food. An, I'm an oyster too. guy, Dave. Are you? Yeah, it helps. It helps what, Paul? Just, just the complexion. Oh, just, just general See how much younger okay. I look? I eat lots of oysters. You look really good, thank Paul. Thank you. Yes. You don't look like you're 65. No. No, I don't. 57, though. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're with Paul Moyer here, and uh, Paul is, uh, you know, how long did you coach in the NFL? Four or five years? Five years. Five years, yeah. and 
you know, sat next to me for the last 15, sitting here watching Seahawk games and always love your take on it. But, uh, you know, we go inside three different plays here. And the first one being a sack for a defensive tackle, Jaron Reed, who, you know, it's tough getting sacks on the inside because it's so crowded in there. And Jaron Reed now, he's got three sacks. With the Cardinals breaking the huddle, Johnson the single setback. Rosen awaits the shotgun snap. Four-man rush by Seattle. Rosen gets wrapped up, and he goes down all the way back to the five-yard line. Wow. Jaron Reed and Barkevius Mingo get to their quarterback, Josh Rosen, and bring him down. And that time, he didn't even have a chance to read what his receivers were going to do. Yeah, that was just awesome. I love seeing Jaron Reed. He's a guy who's a leader. I mean, this guy has, he came out of Alabama, and he was one of those guys on that really good Alabama defense, and he was an alpha dog, and he didn't really get a chance to sort of voice his leadership just because you had Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill in that room, and Jaron Reed finally stepping to the forefront. And I love seeing, you know, I asked him before the year, I said, you know, how many how many sacks do you think you could get, you know? D tackles are always like, yeah, six, seven is is pretty realistic. Yeah. But he's got three in four games. And uh, one of the things, other things go on other than the play, and this is where, Paul, your expertise comes in. You, you look at it, other players, and one of the things that really impressed me was Barkevius Mingo on his rush from the outside because he had a spin move that kind of kept Josh Rosen in the pocket. But mostly it was Jaron Reed just making a beautiful swim move. Well, I think one thing is, uh, and, and we knew going into this game, the, the weakness for Arizona was their interior line. Both their guards and center, not great. Uh, and this one happened earlier uh, in, in the first quarter. And sure enough, uh, Jaron Reed, and I don't know if you heard Rabel when he said, and Josh Rosen couldn't read. I thought maybe it was a little play. Oh, was he words. trying to make the play uh, You know, and yeah. then Reed I makes the sack. But the one thing we're starting to see more and more is wherever Frank Clark is, that's where the offensive line is sliding. And, and what does that mean? When the offensive line slides, it means they have five in linemen. you got two tackles, two guards, and a center. It means that the center is going to slide one way. So they're going to have three guys looking, in this particular case, to the right. And so the guards helping the defensive end in case, in case or the offensive tackle in case the defensive end makes an inside move. The center is there to help for the guard if he feels like there's a mismatch. Well, in this case, Frank Clark is lined up as a defensive tackle. He's, he's in between the, in the gap between the guard and, and their offensive tackle. And so the, they know the center is sliding away from them to, to the defense's left, the offense's right. And so Jaron Reed is going to have a one-on-one situation. When that center slides away over to Frank's side, opposite of where um, Jaron Reed is, there's now space. And Jaron Reed does a nice move. He comes up like he's going to do an outside rush on the guard, comes back inside and beats the guy so quick. And you mentioned Mingo as well. Mingo did a spin move, came inside. He could have probably gotten a sack if Jaron Reed didn't beat the guy so quick. And that's what they're going to have to – they're going to notice more and more of that. What are teams trying to do to them? And when they get that feel now – they're going to be able to set up their pass rush moves, and that's what we saw with Jaron Reed in this sack. Next, we've got Trey Flowers, who cornerback, uh, rookie, number 37, a guy who has been one of the better stories this year. He makes a great play, and he's been really solid this year. And I, I think for uh, of all of the, the players this year, he's been the most 
pleasant surprise. It was a safety draft in the seventh round, and he gets himself a forced fumble. And, of course, Bradley McDougald, who will be here at 8 o'clock, will be talking to him. He gets the fumble recovery. Seattle with four down linemen. They crowd the line of scrimmage. Johnson pounds it up inside. He runs headlong into McDougal and Flowers. Did the ball come out? Seahawks may have it. They do! The ball came out. David Johnson was pounded as he ran around the left side. The officials say the ball came out before he was on the ground. Flowers caused it. McDougal recovers. Yeah, great, you know, and... Rabel said there he was pounding. You could hear the smack of the pads up in, and we were like a mile away from the field where we were, where we were broadcasting the game. But you could hear Trey Flowers is not afraid to come up and throw his pads in there. And the thing is, he's given up 25 pounds there. And I don't want to say he got ran over, but David Johnson kind of won that battle. And as, as, as he's fallen backwards, he's able to pull the ball out. But one of the guys that made this happen was Bradley McDougal. Yep. They, they brought Larry... And I diagrammed this on 710sports.com, a little football one-on-one thing that we do. He built an extra gap, Larry Fitzgerald did. So just meaning there was one more guy to take care of up on the line of scrimmage. Bradley McDougal comes up, fills that, that spot, that gap, and then Trey Flowers. And they ask their corners to be forced, which means you turn everything back in. Uh, more so than almost any defense that I see in the NFL, the Seahawks rely on their corners to be really physical. Yeah, and look, Trey Flowers was a safety at Oklahoma State last year, this senior year. He's playing safety, now he's playing corner in the NFL, so he knows how to tackle. And as you mentioned on that play, they started off in a slot formation. Larry Fitzgerald was over to our left, the offense is right. Larry motions back to our, our right side and creates kind of a wing formation. And McDougal and, the, and, and uh, Earl switched positions. Earl was on the slot. They didn't move, move with motion. And McDougal dropped down knowing that they were going to run this tight or bunch formation. And it really created because of that. And by the way, I'm going to ask McDougal about this later. He uses his hands so well because he's not a real big safety. And, but how he takes on even some guards and, and tight ends and how he gets his hands extended so he can get off blocks, very impressive. And what they're doing in this situation when and McDougal drops down, it's just it, what you said, Dave. It, it's Trey Flowers versus David Johnson one-on-one. And Trey comes in and keeps it really tight I mean, to where McDougal was because if you get too wide, then David Johnson has a two-way go. He can go inside or outside, and that's, you, you get fearful of that as a defender. And I thought it could have been a penalty and that on David Johnson because he ducked his head. Oh, and yeah. he and that's supposed to be the, the call now that you cannot lead with your head. And he, he bowls him over pretty good. But McDougal, who's been making plays, gets the fumble recovery. Flowers pulls the ball at the last second. We weren't sure if it was going to be a fumble. And that's what this defense is living on right now, making plays, turning the football over. It's exactly a Pete you know, Carroll-designed defense. Coming up next, uh, Mike Davis. First touchdown, uh, had 101 yards, and Russell Wilson actually showing up with a a great great block downfield. On second down and five, takes the snap, hands it to Davis, finds some running room, bounces it outside right, down to the 10, down to the 5, dives in, (laughs) touchdown, Seahawks! Mike Davis, where have you been, my friend? A 20-yard touchdown run around the Seahawks' right side, and he had everybody, including his quarterback, leading the way on blocks. 
I'll tell you, I'm always impressed. I love Mike Davis. Looks great. Quickness, explosion, all that. I always love watching the blockers. Nick Vanette had just a devastating block, and you're going to need that from him because of the injury to Will Disley. And then Russell Wilson, even the quarterback, getting in on, on the action down there. Got a good block downfield. Well, play. Fluker and Effetti, I mean, they completely washed the whole defensive line past where the center was. So, I mean... Pushed everybody past the, where the original football was. Mike Davis, actually, that play's designed to come up inside. It's really a read option look. And uh, it normally would see him hit the A or the B gap between the center guard, guards, uh, and tackle. He busted out like, like uh, Russell Wilson kept the football. You know, it was almost like a read option quarterback keeper. But Mike Davis had the ball. You mentioned Vanette. Also, you had Doug Baldwin, who sealed the wide receiver, did yes. a great job. And Russell Wilson, being as strong as he was, went down, didn't shoulder him, didn't hit him with his head, just shoved the guy with his hands, extended it, and the guy got airborne, touchdown Mike Davis, and that's now, what, three touchdowns by our running backs when we had one last year? One last year. Things only are, things only are one other up. than Russell Wilson. Yep. I, I asked Mike Davis if he thought about pitching that back to Russell Wilson. And he said no. Yeah, probably not. No. Maybe they might get too fancy there. All right, coming up next, we'll talk to the professor, John Clayton. That's next on Hawks Live. Welcome back to Hawks Live. As we do every Thursday night, we chat with the professor, John Clayton. John, how are you enjoying the game tonight? Uh, no, I'm not, but I'm enjoying the fact that you got James Brown as a bumper music to get us into the segment. I'm loving it. Aha! Yes, JB! You love, your, you love your funk, John. Oh, I love it. It's like, uh, you know, got to have no funks because, again, they got to love the funks. It's the best. <laughs> All right, before you start singing, I'm going to ask you about football, John. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. New England, you and I talked about this last week that, you know, they came off that loss to Detroit, and they, they looked bad, and everybody was talking about Miami being 3-0 and and the changing of the guard and the AFC East. Not so fast because they're handling business tonight as well. Yeah, but also this is so predictable. And again, I think it's also scary because it's going to probably get all the old school owners to go in line and say exactly what they've been saying for years. And so when you saw the injury list on Wednesday, the Colts had seven guys already ruled out. Today, they only dressed 46 players. And my guess, by the time the game is over, they're only going to have played like 43. And you can see they've had three or four injuries during the game. And so what the old school owners have said is like, that's why they don't want to expand the 46-man active roster because what happens is they think it takes away from a competitive balance because if you have a good team like the Patriots, a below-average talented team like the Colts, and you take away six, seven players, now you have 50-some players versus like 41, 42, and it's a a blowout. And so they're going to use this game to prevent the expansion of the 46-man roster. Well, injuries have obviously been uh, an issue for the Seahawks, too, particularly at linebacker, not having K.J. Wright. So I'm going to ask you about a guy who was playing really well, and and we're going to miss him, and that's uh, Michael Kendricks. What one, you know, with just the whole NFL and the suspension, is he told how long? Can they leave that truly as an indefinite amount of time? He's probably been told, but he hasn't revealed what it might be. Because you would have to think between him, the agent, not necessarily the team, because they don't have to tell the team, is that uh, you know he probably knows, but uh, he's not leaked out yet what it's going to be. Because you know what they didn't say when they put it out on the waiver wire, is it player conduct or what it is? 
is because there's not been any case like this in the National Football League. So it's like, okay, this is unprecedented. So they may make it indefinite, but I kind of wonder, can you take it past six games? Because this is his first time offense. He's never had anything before this. Clearly, it's a conviction that needs to have some kind of sanction. But is it six games or is it more? At this stage, he may know, but we don't know. Hey, John, let me ask you about Brandon Marshall, a guy really sure-handed, but uh, last week, a couple drops, and then you saw David Moore uh, emerging Mm -hmm. a little bit, and he actually caught a pass and then dropped it, too. There was a lot of weird stuff going on as far as drops, but uh, Brandon Marshall, I mean, I I don't worry about him, just because he's such a pro, and his approach to the game, everything, is, is always so professional. Yeah, but it's still concerning because what you're looking at with the drops, and it makes you wonder, is it there or is it not there? I mean, you know the big size is there. You know his work ethic is there. You know his relationship with Russell Wilson is there, and you can see some production. But if the drops continue, then you know they're going to start going the other direction. And that's why I think because of the drops, you're seeing a little bit more of David Moore. And again, you're seeing a little bit of a David Moore because he showed so much promise in the preseason and shows so much potential talent. I mean, you know, you can argue that David Moore is one of the most improved players on this team because it came, came from a small school in the seventh round, didn't know what he didn't know, and then really started to pick things up and made a big advance. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a little concerning with Brandon Marshall. You know, I stand by him because he's East Liberty PA. I'm Braddock PA. And, again, I think he's a borderline Hall of Fame wide receiver, so I'd still wait him out. But, you know, if those drops continue, you'll see more of more. Ha! Ah. Thank you. You, you. you media guys. That was pretty good. Oh, thank you very um, much. Stay on injuries. Again, I think K.J. Wright, and then defensively, we're playing well right now. Yeah. And we're finally, everybody understands their role. They're fitting their gaps nice against the run. I sure would like K.J. Wright back. What, what's the latest? Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to do it, and I think because of the fact that it's a knee injury, they may take an extra week and keep him out of the Oakland game in London and then just give him the bye week to try to get ready and get ready for the seventh game of the season. So I think that's probably what the plan is. If he can play in Oakland, he can play in Oakland. But right now, uh, I think that he's probably going to have to sit out the, the game in London. And so that means, and honestly, when you think about this, for at least this particular game, they may be able to get by because probably the best way to go against the Rams and their three receivers set, because they use three receivers so much, is you know to maybe go, if you need to, big nickel. So that third linebacker is not going to be as active. So they can start on the regular running plays with Austin Calitro, but that's why I thought it was curious when they brought Mo Alexander back because I thought Mo Alexander can fit into the big nickel, and if they need to, and you notice they put him as a safety slash outside linebacker, or at least a weak side linebacker. So I think that you may see a lot of either you know nickel or you might see three safeties, not a lot of outside linebacker for the third linebacker spot. Hey, John, Paul asked Sam Farmer this uh, question. I think it's a good question, and I'll ask you, from having covered uh, the entire NFL, what is it about Sean McVay at age 32 that makes him so special? What's the it factor with him? The it factor is that uh, he's now the model of what owners want. You want the young coach bright mind, offensive, that can carry the kind of conversion that the NFL is having from the college game to the NFL game. And what I mean by that is that you find ways that you can take the college quarterback and make him that much better. And so what you see in Sean McVay is an extremely great 
pass I mean pass caller play caller that can take a young quarterback put all the things in motion you know the jet sweeps the fakes downfield all those different things and again it's like one of the things I'm looking forward to on Sunday is you know being on the sidelines and literally being five feet away from him as he's really coaching up Jared Goff I, I love that last year in the two games that I was able to watch because I mean he's down there you know literally at the line of scrimmage you know trying to yell and get the things going and get things going but again he's the model of what you want in this league I mean this league right now is scoring so many points because of coaches like him that know how to get all the gyrations going at the line of scrimmage all the motions going all the short passes going all the aggressive first down pass calling plays I mean he's right now probably the best at that Doug Peterson might be second or Andy Reid might be second but that's what you're seeing you're seeing a creative league that's really getting into more offense and more college type offense that works with the now the quarterbacks who are young I don't want to know your answer on who you think is going to win because I'm afraid of your response. Yeah, stay away from but, that. Yeah, stay away from but, that. But, you know, and this one's hard for me to say, too. But I will say, the Rams, three road game, or three home games in a row. Now they're about to go on a three-road game uh, stretch. And this is weird for me to say, but how can the Seahawks shock the world and beat the undefeated Rams? Offensive. If they can get the running game going, if they can get, you know, keep the offense off the field, kind of like they did in some ways in the uh, Rams road game last year. And if they can do something like that, then they can do it. Hey, you know, they're at home. You know how, I mean, let's put it this way. This has to be the most energized Seahawk crowd you're going to have this year because everything is on the line. The division's on the line, and that could cause a young quarterback. You watched it with Colin Kaepernick. You watched it with all the false starts and all that stuff. If they can get him out of the game and then keep the offense off the field, not make any turnovers, get the running game going, then they can be at least the, the key is being in the position like they always need to be in the fourth quarter to have Russell Wilson make one drive to win the game. Sounds like a recipe for victory. Yes. All right, Clayton, thank you so much. Uh, there goes the professor. We'll talk to you tomorrow and see you on Sunday. All right, sounds good. Thanks, John. Hi, John. All right, coming up next, we're going to have Hopefully, Bradley McDougald, future All-Pro safety. I, I can't maybe, wait. Paul? He's one I, of look, my favorite he's playing players. So well, and you know, I, obviously, I love safeties because, well, I don't want to. Well, you were mess a safety yourself, but yes. Bradley McDougal, he's going to come to the stage. That's next on Hawks Live. Yeah.